the book of Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we'll be this morning. How many of you guys were able to come to the Naso Nuliwe game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had a ball, huh? That's, it should be illegal to do that much laughing. <clears throat> we had a lot of fun. I encourage you, next year we come around Valentine's, we'll have another one. It gives enough time for people who were embarrassed to forget the embarrassment of the not-so-newly-way game <clears throat> so that we can find new recruits every year. That'll be vitally important. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to join us next time. We were excited to have the opportunity to do that. Well, as we look at Ephesians, don't forget, as we've uh, sat down to look at this book, the first three chapters of this book laid out for us are blessings. The blessings we have already in Christ. Not the blessings that you can have. Not the blessings that if you're good enough you'll have or if you practice enough righteousness. These are blessings God gave. In the Old Testament, this is what we see. As as the Lord was working in the lives of the children of Israel, he said, if you do this, then I will bless you. That's not what he says now. Now he says, I have blessed you. Will you come and follow me? Will you walk the walk that God has laid out before you? It's a, it's a question that he lays out for us. No longer does our reward depend on our performance. And that's the importance for you and I of spending time in Ephesians 1 through 3. Because we tend to forget what we already have in Christ. And we start to think that it's what I can gain if I do good enough, if I get up early enough and pray, if I raise my hands in worship, if I read my Bible every day. I'm not saying those things are negative. After all, those things are great. But God's blessing comes irregardless. His son died on the cross irregardless to what you do other than receive him. The blessing's already been given. He's already opened those things up to us. Well, as we open up the scripture this morning, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, now every time we see that phrase, therefore, what are we supposed to do? Find out what it's there for. I hear you, brother. (laughs) Find out what it's there for. And what it's there for is what we've already talked about in the first three chapters. So let's talk about that just briefly by way of remembrance. What is the wealth? The first three chapters is the wealth that we already have in Christ. We have been chosen. God chose us. We're picked to be on his team. In fact, the scripture lays out for us in John chapter 1 verse 12. To as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. To all who, what? Believe on his name. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, immediately God says to us, chosen from the foundation of the world. I knew you were going to make it. I knew you were coming. I knew you were going to be a part. We're chosen to be on his team. Next, we're adopted into his family. We're adopted. We talked about the reality that in the Roman world, being adopted meant that you had all the rights that God wants you to have, that, that, that you have all the rights to the inheritance that the Lord has. Do I look funny in my glasses? Everybody laughing at me. I can't see none of you, so I can't tell. But the rules are I'm not allowed to put it here. And so I can't do that. 
And I can't take them off and talk. It makes me crazy. So I'm just trying to live up to my wife's rules. Anybody else ever try to do that? (laughs) We've been adopted. Man, we're kids of the king. That's exciting. That's exciting. Next, we've, we've been accepted in the beloved. I mean, to me, that's God saying, you know, I don't care about all your goofiness. He don't care if I wear them down here. Mama does, God doesn't. <laughs> I've been accepted in the beloved. I mean, God, God has said, man, I love you for who you are. I've uh, had an opportunity the last couple of weeks to share my testimony at Lighthouse in Twin Falls, Nazarene, at CR for, for Celebrate Recovery. It's been a great blessing, but part of putting that all together and thinking about it, I, I, I came to the realization that in my relationship with Kathy, my wife, she loved me for, for all that ugliness. She loved me anyway. And she loved me enough to hang in there and, and watch God do a work. And you know what the reality is? For you and I, God does the same thing for us. He knows who you are. There ain't no hiding it. You cannot fake God out. You might fake us out, show up on Sunday, look holy. But God says, man, I saw you last night. I know what you're really about. I know what's really going on in your heart, what's really going on in your life. But I want you to know you're accepted in the beloved. To as many as received him, you're accepted. You're part of the family, welcomed into the family of God. Not only are we accepted, we're redeemed. The concept of being redeemed, remember, being twice bought. For Jesus Christ created us. And he bought us, purchased us with the blood at the cross. We've been bought twice, redeemed. Then we've been forgiven. Man, isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know that the only person... I, I always think, when I think about forgiveness, I think about the story of the, of, of the woman caught in the act of adultery. You guys remember from John chapter 8? woman caught in the act of adultery, brought to the Lord, cast down at his feet. Of course, they didn't bring the man. They say he, she was caught in the very act, and according to the law, both were supposed to be brought before him, but they only brought the woman. They cast her before the Lord, and they said, What should we do? What do you say? Moses says we should stone her. What do you say we should do, Jesus? We all remember, right? What did Jesus say? You who is without sin, cast the first stone. Cast the first stone. Now, when everybody went, when everybody left, she was left with Jesus, right? Don't miss this part. She's left with Jesus, and he says to her, Woman, where are your accusers? And she says, They've all left. Then Jesus said this, neither do I condemn you. That's forgiveness. The only one in the whole group who had the right to say, yeah, you should pay. You're guilty. There was no question of her guilt. But Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn. The world's condemned already. I came that the world might be saved. By what? Putting their faith and trust in him and experiencing Not only redemption, but the forgiveness of sins. As far as the east is from the west, right? That's how far he has removed our sins from us. One scarred hand to the other. Far as the east is from the west. What a beautiful thing to to consider and understand. Then he lays out for us, hey, you are loved. Do you know you are loved by God? You know, for a long time in my life, I thought God hated me. Every time something bad happened, that was because God hates me. 
But the first three chapters of Ephesians tell us, you are greatly beloved of God. Greatly beloved. Man, that's an incredible statement. Not only are you loved, but you who were once dead are what? Made alive in Christ Jesus, right? He has made us alive. At one time we were zombies, the walking dead. The walking dead. The Bible says man's not sick, he's dead. And he needs to be alive, but he can only find that life where? Jesus said, I come to give you life, life more abundantly. The Zoe. I've come to give you that abundant life. That abundant life is found in the reality that he's made us alive. In him, I find that life. In him, I've been raised from the dead. The scripture lays out for us in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Not only that, by him, I'm kept. Do you understand what good news that is? Because if you're being kept in the family of God dependent on you, you'd be in trouble. Do you understand that? For by grace you have been saved, through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. Does it depend on you? Not at all. It is not of yourself. He keeps you. Jesus said, I thank my Father for all those he has given me. Because he holds them in his hand and he says, no one will pluck them out of my hand. No one in the Greek means no one. Wow, isn't that great news? And my father is mightier than I, and, and no one will pluck him out of his hand. So you got Jesus holding us like this, the father holding them like this. In football, that's six points of contact, no fumble. Nobody's taking that away. You're kept. He keeps you. He holds you. The next thing we see in the first three chapters is we're a new race. No longer Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. We're no longer defined by where we were born, what side of the tracks, whether we're rich or poor. We have a lot or we have little. We become a new race, the church, made up of everyone who is accepted by Jesus Christ and loved by the, by the Father and gathered into the family. We become a new race. And what about this new race? Listen, this new race has purpose for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works that god has ordained that we should walk in them god has a plan for every one of us right we're his workmanship we have purpose and we have energy and we have power by the gift that jesus gives in the holy spirit we're energized and empowered by god to do. Not only does he have works for us to do, but he energizes us and he empowers us to do them. All we have to do is show up. Present ourselves to him. What is it that Paul said? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, how? A living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Here I am, Lord. I am yours. And God will do the rest. What an incredible thing. The question begins in chapter 4 of Ephesians. So in light of this, how will you respond? What are you going to do with what God has already given, the blessings he's already poured out on you? So look what Paul says. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. I love that phrase. Now, Paul is in prison. But this doesn't have so much to do with that as it has to do with, I'm a prisoner of God. I'm his. 
He is going to decide where I go, when I go, how I go. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He says it a little more poetically in some of the other epistles when he says, I am a doulos of God. That's a bond slave, a slave by choice. I'm God's prisoner, man. I, I, don't, I don't know about you. I ran my life. And it, it had a lack of purpose, a lack of energy, a lack of power. I had a lack of forgiveness in my life, a lack of redemption. I had a lack of, of the adoption of God and feeling accepted by Him. I was missing out on all those things when I did things myself. But when I present myself to God, I give myself to Him. Man, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm yours. I'm a tool in the Master's hand. You know, even though I'm that old, beaten, broken violin. Everybody knows the story, right? That beaten, broken violin that at auction they couldn't get a, a nickel for. Until an old man stood up from the back and came forward. And he tuned up that old violin and he touched it with the bow. Began to play such a beautiful melody that the crowd was spellbound and silent. He set down that old violin and the bow and he went back and sat down. And when the auctioneer asked for the bid, all of a sudden the bids were astronomical. I'll give you a thousand. I'll give you two. Two thousand. Do I hear three? And somebody shouted, what are you doing? A minute ago, you couldn't get a buck. He says, don't you know? It's the touch of the master's hand. My life without God is not worth a plug nickel. But my life in Christ is priceless. So Paul lays out for us. I'm a prisoner, man. I'm a prisoner of God. I'm his. Lock, stock, and barrel. Everything about me belongs to the Lord. And then what's he say? Listen, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I therefore, in light of all these things we talked about, the prisoner of God, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you, walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Walk worthy. In the Greek, it's axios. It means to be of equal weight. Those maybe who teach mathematics will remember the, the axiom where you do one thing to one side of the equation, you have to do the same thing to the other side of the equation. So it's of equal weight so that you can find the solution to the problem. The same thing is what Paul's saying here, that you would walk of equal weight to your calling. In light of the blessings, in light of all that God's done for you, in light of everything that God means to you, walk of equal weight. Walk of equal weight. In the Gospel of 1 John, or not the Gospel, but the letter of 1 John, John has something, I think, that, that'll shine a little bit of a light on this. Why don't you turn there with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Just turn right. Keep turning right. If you get to Revelation, you went too far. Then turn left. <clears throat> get to 1 John chapter 1. Beginning at verse 6. Beginning at verse 6. You know, we have a tendency to make things more difficult than they need to be. Hopefully we can simplify some of this this morning. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, he says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, now that's a good thing, right? 
Hey, I have fellowship with the Lord. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of the King. I belong to Him. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So what's He saying? Our walk should match our talk. If you say that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, our walk should show that, right? I mean, think about it. You and I, we can go outside. We can watch how people walk. We can watch. Can you tell a cowboy by his walk? Come on. Even I, who have almost clueless if they're not wearing a hat, can tell a cowboy... Because they got a distinctive walk. Like they just got off that horse. They have a distinctive walk. If you see, if you remember when you were in school, the jocks at school had a distinctive walk, right? The stoners at school had a distinctive walk. (laughs) They bumped into more things than everybody else. (laughs) Fell down a couple of times. They have a distinctive walk. Their walk says who they are. Does yours. Does your walk say, I belong to Jesus Christ, a prisoner of the Lord. Now, turn over in 1 John to chapter 2. Just look down to chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. Oh no. If I give you a test, how many of you guys could recite the Ten Commandments? My hand's not up, I'm just asking. (laughs) Or the 613 commandments or the... You know, people get hung up when they see that phrase. Keep the Lord's commandments. Keep the Lord's commandments. Oh, that's that whole list of uh, do's and don'ts. And you know what it says in the Old Testament is God's commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Cling to me, he said. Cling to me. Pursue me. Love me. That's my commandment to you. When we look at 1 John and he says, if you're, gonna, if you're going to know him and keep his commandments, that's the only commandment you need to lock, stock, and barrel hold on to. Love the Lord my God with everything I'm worthy and cling to him. If you know him, you'll do that. If you know him, you'll love him. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. This is how we know we're saved. He who says he abides in him, in Christ, ought himself also to what? Walk as he walked. Walk as Jesus walked. And Jesus walked around with all kind of legalism and, and all kind of charges against people. We just told a story about a woman caught in the act of adultery. What did he have to say to her? 
Neither do I condemn you what? Go and sin no more. Get a fresh start with me. The only people Jesus had a hard time with were the religious people. You guys know what religion is, right? Religion is not what we're doing here. If religion is what you're doing here, you're missing the boat. Religion means to bind up, to put yourself under a, a set of rules or regulations. Religion is, is ritual and tradition. We're here for relationship, to know him. How do we come to know him? We study his word. We open his word. We delve into his word. I want to know who he is. I want to know what he wants for me. I want to know what he's doing in my life. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Man, I want to know everything that God wants to reveal to me. That's relational. I have a relationship with him. I I want to draw near to him. I want to know him. So this is what he's laying out for us. Hey, we want to... To know him. We want to understand him. So we want to walk worthy of equal weight too. We want to make those choices in our life. So he's going to lay out for us. He's going to lay out for us how he wants us to walk in the rest of the book of Ephesians. Here's how it's going to go. He's going to tell us to walk in unity in chapter 4, 1 through 16. He's going to tell us to walk in purity From chapter 4, verse 17 to chapter 5, verse 18. He's going to tell us to walk in harmony. In chapter 5, 19 through chapter 6, 9. And he's going to have us walk in victory in chapter 6, verse 10 to the end of the book. This is how we are to walk. So as we look at this walk, we see that we're in the section that would deal with a walk of unity. The walk of unity. And he starts with the character of unity. Look at verse verse 2. This is the character of unity. With all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the character of unity. You might recognize it because it looks very similar to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. He begins with lowliness. What is lowliness? Guys, lowliness is humility. Humility. Did Jesus ever say he was lowly? Come all you who are heavy burdened. And I will give you rest, for I am lowly and gentle. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, I am lowly, I am humble. We see it in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5 through 8. That Jesus Christ did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. He came lowly. How humbling is it to be God of very God and then to come in human flesh? How humbling is it to hold the universe in your hand and then entrust a young teenage mother with your care as an infant? How humbling is the things that, that Jesus Christ did. And then he says, listen, if we're going to say we're his, we ought to walk like he walked. 
Are we humble? Are we lowly? The scripture says lowliness is esteeming others higher than yourself. Esteeming others higher than yourself. That's what it's all about. It's not a false humility that, that lies. More, more accurately, it is saying, know who you are, accept who you are, and be who you are for the glory of God. It's the reality, lowliness. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul would write, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That's like re- reality. The real me. Think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Jesus first. Other second. I am third. That's a concept of Lowliness, But not only does he call us to lowliness, he, he pairs it together. Lowliness and gentleness. Gentleness, the same word is translated meekness. Meekness. We talk about meekness all the time. Meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. It's the very same word used of a stallion who has been trained. Power under control but the key is gentleness means your power is under whose control if it's under your own control you may be in trouble it is power under god's control that means i'm not going to take everything that's happening to me i'm not going to go out and say i'm going to take care of this i can do this i don't need you god gentleness says i trust you god you direct me You show me the when, the where, the how. I don't want to move until you tell me go. That's meekness. That's being or having your power under God's control. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, the scripture says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls what do we see in jesus walk as he walked right well we see power not to retaliate but to forgive what did he say as they drove the nails in his hands father forgive them for they know not what they do in regard to himself he was ready to forgive and not to retaliate but in defense of the truth or others He had a fierce defense. It wasn't just laying down. When he came into the court of the Gentiles and wanted the Gentiles to be able to pray and he saw their money changers, what did he do? He made a whip of cords. It means he grabbed a couple of ropes, tied them together and whooped them people out of there. Does that sound like meekness to you? It should because meekness is power under control. Who's control? God. God directed. God directed. Jesus drove the money changers out. When it's God directed, we want to move. When it's not, when it's my direction, I want to sit and wait on the Lord. Renew my strength. Be ready 
for what God calls us to, how God directs us. With all lowliness and gentleness. What's the next one? With long-suffering. Long-suffering literally means long-tempered or long-fused. We got anybody with short fuses? Yeah, me too. I have a short fuse. I'm working on that. Because he says, if I'm going to walk like Jesus walked, I need to have a long fuse. I need to be long-suffering or long-tempered. That means i got to endure discomfort. i got to endure things that are going on in my life and around in my life. I have to endure them with acceptance that these things that have entered into my life pass through the hands of a God who loves me. But God, you don't understand. I don't like this. Um, I think he knows. But God, you don't understand the situation. People are, are in harm's way. Bad things could happen. God knows. God loves people in those harmful, hurtful situations more than you and I can even imagine. Yet he allows the things that are happening. And he says to us in Hebrews chapter 10, you have need of endurance. You have to wait. See what God is doing. Recognize that God has a plan and that you're not going to stay here in A forever, but you're going to go from A to B to C. Your life is a marathon, a long walk, not a short one, not a quick race. So God lays out for us, we need to be long-suffering, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise we got to hang in there and watch what God does. Watch how God moves. Then he says, coupling that one together with bearing with one another in love. That's uh, all summed up in this word, forbearance. Or I like it like this. From 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love bears all things. Love bears all things. Cindy used to say all the time to us when, when she was still alive, she would say this, love never fails. And I remember when I was young, I was pretty harsh on some of the pastors and, and their kids and what they allowed their kids to do and how they allowed their kids to behave. But you know what? They love their kids. If you think in your head that you're going to be able to protect your child or guide your child or structure their life in such a way that they're never going to struggle, never going to have a hard time, never going to find themselves making a decision that, that you can't necessarily be proud about. You're crazy. Because they're just like you. My kids are just like me. I have to remember that sometimes. But I also need to remember what never fails. Love them. Love them. Love your kids, love your neighbors, love your friends, love your family. Love never fails. Is that scriptural? Absolutely it is. Love never fails. We want to remember that. Here he says, we want to bear with one another in love. Love being the oil of our relationships. Well, let's think about it. You guys remember John, right? 
John, we talk about John sometimes. He was the uh, uh, first biker in the Bible. You didn't know that. The apostle John. Yeah, yeah, he was a member of the Sons of Thunder. <laughs> Wasn't he? Son of Thunder. That's what I see when I read it. If you didn't see it before, you will now. <laughs> At one time, he's a son of thunder, and, and he's walking around with Jesus, and he says to him, when they get thrown out of this one city, he says, Lord, you want me to call upon the heavens and have fire come down and devour this city? And the Lord said, man, you're still a son of thunder, brother. Just chill. That's a Jackie paraphrase. <clears throat> Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you are. You don't know of what spirit you are. Then what did John become? The disciple of love. The apostle of love. You see love over and over and over again. What about Peter? Remember Peter, big old burly Peter, always had something to say? Well, listen to what Peter wrote. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll take a little journey through 1 Peter. <clears throat> And see what this bearing with one another in love is all about. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love for the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. What do you say? Love one another fervently. Man, with all that you're worth. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, next chapter, verse 17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Love, love. 1 Peter 3, 8, the next chapter. Finally... Now, don't think he's done, because he's got more chapters in 1 Peter. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Love as brothers. Phileo. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. He says... And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Why? For love will what? Cover a multitude of sins. Have fervent love for one another. Man, we, we're supposed to love one another. You know, we live in a cold, fragmented world. Do you know that? We live in a world where alienation and neglect for people become like a death, the, the living dead. People in a place where they don't feel like anybody cares for them, that anybody loves them, or they have no place that they fit, no place that they can plug in. And what are they looking for? They're looking for a new humanity, a new race. They're looking for a place where they're accepted and a place where they're loved. You know, the amazing thing when we look at the life of Jesus, when he's reaching out to people, not very many times do people close the door on him. You know who closed the door on Jesus? <clears throat> the religious people. Because he didn't fit in their rules. But what about everybody else? 
Man, sinners, sinners would hang out with him. Not because he said, your sin's okay, but because they knew he loves me. Uh, even though I'm a sinner, even though I'm messed up, even though I'm not perfect, even though I struggle, he loves me. He cares about me. He, he knows who I am, and he loves me. And then we're to walk worthy, right, of equal weight. Jesus walked in love. Didn't he walk in love? So he says, this is how they will know you are my disciples. What did he say? By your love for one another. By your love for one another. Not by your list of rules and regulations. By how you love one another. You know, on any given day, God will give you a, a ton of opportunities to love the brethren. Do you know that? It comes in the, in the sample of someone calling you and saying, Help! I need help. Could you help me? Do you know somebody who could help with this? Or, or what can I do with that? <clears throat> and you are presented with an opportunity to love the brethren. Sometimes you love the brethren by going out and, and helping them take care of what they need to take care of. Sometimes you love the brethren by saying, come on, brother, man, let's go out there together. Let's, let's get this done. Sometimes you got to pull them along with you. Sometimes you got to go do it for them. You have to have the wisdom to know the difference. Where does that wisdom come from? Who energizes and empowers you for what God's called you to do? The Holy Spirit. He's our energy. He's our empowerment. And he will guide. We are, though, to love. Love. Love needs to be what we're about. Love needs to be where our focus is. Bearing with one another in love. But then look what he says in verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, what that means is we already have unity. We're supposed to endeavor to do what? Keep it. Keep the unity that you already have. He's going to go on and tell us seven different unities we have. We'll focus on that in just a second. But the point that he's saying here is you've got to endeavor. Endeavor to persevere. You have to endeavor. You have to be willing to make haste to work hard at being unified. Being unified. Enjoying the unity that God gives us. Endeavoring to keep that unity. To do our utmost God wants us to be a peacemaker, right? Listen, the, it, the scripture tells in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, what? Live peaceably with all people. Keep in mind, it says, if it's possible, it's not always possible. If it's possible, how? As much as depends on you. Live peaceably with all people. In Romans chapter 14, he says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Let us pursue the things that make for peace. Be a peacemaker. Endeavor to keep the unity. You want to walk like Jesus walked? Then we need to be a peacemaker. We need to look for opportunities to bridge the gap. Isn't that what Jesus did between man and God? 
He became our peace. That's what the scripture laid out for us in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. He is my peace. I need to be a peacemaker. I need to look for opportunities to be a peacemaker. There's a couple of ways we can do that. One, listen, this is the important part. A peacemaker is honest. Yeah, because if you read Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you see a bunch of peacemakers who aren't honest. In fact, in in Jeremiah, I'll read it to you, Jeremiah chapter 6. It says, they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly by saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. If there is no peace, you need to say, there is no peace here. What does peace depend on? What is it that peace is hinging on? Listen, James chapter 3 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Does doctrine matter? Yeah. Doctrine matters. In fact, the first three chapters of Ephesians is doctrine. And the last three is duty. This is the doctrine. This is what we do about it. Doctrine matters. I have to be honest. Guys, there's a lot of people who say we're all worshiping the same God who are not worshiping the same God. Just because they use the same names, it's not the same person. Why does it matter? Because Jesus himself said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Do you know what that means? I am is the declaration that I am God from Exodus chapter 3 when Moses said to God, tell me, who should I tell the people has sent me? What's your name? And he said, tell them I am that I am. You tell them I am has sent you. Jesus said, unless you believe I am, you'll die in your sins. I mean, that is a major issue. So you mean it matters if I think that Jesus is the angel Michael? Yeah. He's not the I am. Then there's a problem. There's no peace. You understand what I'm saying? If, if he is the brother of Lucifer or <clears throat> the brother of man or anything other than God of very God, there cannot be peace between me and you. You have to understand that. Is it because I don't want peace with you? No, because peace has to be honest. And first, wisdom from on high is pure. It matters who Jesus is. Doctrine matters. It makes a difference. We have to understand that that matters. And that's going to that's gonna be an issue in regard to being at peace. Peace. I want peace. And as much as it depends on me, I'll strive for peace. But this point, I can't go around. And it's not the only point. We need to understand that doctrine makes a difference. We want to be honest, but we also want to accept responsibility. If I want to make peace between me and my brother, i got to be able to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. What I said was hurtful, and I didn't mean to be hurtful. Please forgive me. Now, as much as it depends on me, have I made peace? Yeah, if you don't want to forgive me, the problem's in, in your lap now. 
But the reality is, I need to be willing to step up and say, this is what God calls me to do. I'm going to be a peacemaker. I want to be those who make peace. Then I'm going to take responsibility, and I have to be willing to do the hard part. What's the hard part? The hard part is saying, yeah, this is a problem of of doctrine here, and I can't get around that. When When a Jehovah Witness comes to my door, and he wants to talk with me about a hundred different things. I'm not talking about any of it. I talk about one thing. Until we can decide who Jesus is, I can't go nowhere else. We've got to get past this one thing. And so we'll, we'll make the attempt. Unfortunately, to date, I have never had any success. I've had success expressing the issue, but I've had no uh, success in regard to someone changing, turning, walking away. But I can't have peace. With them, if the doctrine's outside, if the doctrine is not pure, if the doctrine is not right. James 3, 17 goes on to say that wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, (coughs) without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And that's the fruit I want to sow. I don't want to sow death and hatred and discontent. I want to sow righteousness. And that's what peacemakers do. Plant seeds of righteousness. Endeavoring to keep the unity in the spirit of the bond of peace. And then he gives us seven unities. And this is as far as we're going. So don't sweat. You're thinking, oh, he's got like 20 more chapters. <laughs> no, we're not doing, going to the end. Sorry. Well, we are going to the end. Just not right now. So we go on in verse 4. Seven unities. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He's saying this is what we already have unity with. We already have unity here. And if you notice, verse 4, 5, and 6 is... Divided into the Trinity, the Spirit, the Son, the Father, or the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, depending on which way you want to read those three verses. It begins with the the function and unity of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. There is one body. We are united in the body of Christ. All of us, same body. Different functions, right? Right? One body, one body, different functions. How does that occur? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. If you turn to the left, you'll see it. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all have been made to drink of one spirit. The spirit brings us into the one body, the body of Christ. We are one body, one spirit. We just read the Holy Spirit. The same spirit in me is in you. You mean that the same thing that energizes and empowers me energizes and empowers you. Yeah. So that means that the same thing energizing and empowering me and energizing and empowering you is working together in each of us to accomplish the same thing. So we're... We have unity in regard to that, don't we? 
What is the Holy Spirit's purpose? To point to Jesus Christ. What's he going to energize and empower me to do? Point to Jesus Christ. What's he going to energize and empower you to do? Point to Jesus Christ. Is he going to do it the same way? Not necessarily, but the same purpose. We have unity, one spirit. One spirit, one body, the body of Christ. One spirit, the Holy Spirit empowering each of us. And then, <laughs> one hope of your calling. Listen, the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus said that. He is the guarantee. He is the proof that I'm coming back. I will leave you orphans. I'll give you the Holy Spirit as a promise. I will come back again. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again to receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. What is our hope? That Jesus Christ is coming for me. When? I don't know. Could be today. Could be tomorrow. I'm supposed to wait watching for his return. Live my life looking for him. Why? Because it will change how I live tomorrow. Won't it? If I said to you, Jesus is coming back at noon today, which would be bad because no one knows the time, right? So I didn't say that. But if I did, and you said, oh, he's coming back at noon today, is there some phone calls you would make? Is there some people you would talk to? Is there some things you would do? Well, the Lord says, if you want to make sure you don't have any regrets and leave those things undone, live every day that way. Live every day in the hope the one hope, all our hope, Jesus coming back. Man, that's great news. It's exciting news. That's the, the function of unity by the Holy Spirit. Then, verse 5, we have the function of unity in Jesus Christ. There is one Lord. Who's he talking about? It's only one. One Lord. Who is the one Lord? Jesus. Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we are for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we all live. Jesus Christ is the one Lord. He's the main thing. So what do we want to focus on? We want to focus on the main thing, the majority. Do we want to focus on the minor issues? If we focus on the minor issues, we'll all argue, huh? So we stay focused on the main thing. Who's the main thing? Jesus Christ. We've got to have Jesus right. We've got to have Jesus right. We've got to have Jesus right, and we'll have unity. There is one Lord, and we're all following him, right? If we're all part of the same body, <coughs> excuse me, and Jesus is the head, does your head tell your body to do two different things? Like, when, when, when your head sends the message to your hands that you're hungry and you want to eat. And we're going to go in here and eat spaghetti in a little while. And you take that fork and your mind says, I am really hungry so I want a lot on my fork. So you stick the fork in and you twist it so you can get all them noodles and sauce and Parmesan cheese all trapped up in there. Anybody hungry? You twist that and then... Your brain does not tell your hand, put that in my eye. Because my eye thinks that looks really good. How's that going to work? Not very well, right? 
The same head, Christ, is not going to tell different parts of the body to do different things. The same head, Christ, for each of us, is going to direct us in different ways, with different gifts, to minister to the body, one Lord, one mind, the mind of Christ. That brings unity, doesn't it? The mind of Christ. That brings unity. He says we have one Lord. We have one faith. What is that one faith? Jesus Christ. He's everything. But as many as received who? Him. Jesus. To them gave you the power to become the sons of God to as many as believed on what? His name. That's the scripture lays out for us. One faith. John 3 verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. <clears throat> he has not believed in the I always found that interesting, by the way. Because you know what, what Jesus' name means? God is salvation. Has not believed in his name. God is salvation. Jesus Christ. God Almighty. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. Now, a lot of people want to fight over baptism. There's really no reason to fight. There really isn't. Here's the truth. Side note. This is a rabbit trail. I'll be right back in a second. If you're not baptized, why not? Jesus got baptized. Why would you not want to be baptized? If you haven't been baptized, get baptized. We have a baptismal service coming, right, next month. February, March. Just nod and say yes. So we have a baptism. If you haven't been baptized... Get baptized. But the truth of God's word lays out for us that I'm saved by grace through faith. Not because I'm baptized. Everybody with me? But if you're not, I don't understand it. Jesus, after all, was baptized. And we want to walk worthy of the calling, right? If Jesus thought it was important to be baptized, do we really think we're more important than him? Well, he he needed to do it, but I don't. I don't think that works. I don't think that works. Now, here when we look at the scripture, he says, one baptism. What is this one baptism? Is he talking about water baptism? Is he talking about, is he talking about <clears throat> spirit baptism? What's the issue? Here's the, here's the truth, the honest truth. As we look through these seven unities, we see them all supernatural, working through the hands of, of the Father, Son, and Spirit, bringing unity to the body of Christ. And then all of a sudden, the the guys who translate the word come to the word baptismo, and they transliterate it and call it baptism. What did it mean? It means to be be immersed in or, or poured in or enveloped by. What's he talking about? Guys, it's simple. You guys remember John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, he said... I baptize you with water. But there is one coming after me who what? Whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to loose. Who will baptize how? And the Spirit. He will baptize you by fire and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what the scripture lays out for us? What what is the baptism that Jesus brings? Who are we talking about here? The second person of the Trinity. One Lord. Jesus Christ. What's the baptism that Jesus Christ brings? Acts 1 verse 5. 
For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Whose baptism was that? The baptism of Jesus Christ. He told his disciples, wait here until you have been endowed with power from on high. Energized and empowered to do, to walk, to be who God's calling you to be. The one baptism. Was it ever spoken of anywhere else in the Bible? Sure it was. In Joel chapter 2. You know the scripture. And it came to pass. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And also, on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Jesus Christ came to baptize. Who did he come to baptize? His body, the, the church. What did he come to baptize us with? The Holy Spirit. Does that mean we should ignore water baptism? Absolutely not. But it's not the same thing. Water baptism is a work done by the hands of man. Baptism of the Spirit is a work done by Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. What are we baptized into? The Holy Spirit. We're immersed in Him. Who gave the Holy Spirit as a gift? Jesus Christ, right? I'm giving you a gift. What was the gift? The gift was the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Jesus said? I've come to give you a gift. What is that gift? The Holy Spirit. What is that baptism? Being immersed in the Holy Spirit. Empowered in the Holy Spirit. There is one baptism. One. That unifies. That unites. That brings us together. That's that baptism of the Spirit that guides us, that leads us, that directs us, that accomplishes all these things. And then in verse 6, the seventh unity, there is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. We all have the same Father. That makes you my brothers and sisters. We're one family. Doesn't that unite us? We are all brothers and sisters. We're not here to major in the minors. We're here to major in the main thing. Who's the main thing? Jesus Christ. And the work that Jesus Christ has done and is doing and will continue to do in, through, and by us all. So this is the unity. When he says endeavor to keep the unity, here's the unity he just told us. Our unity is established in a trinity. Did you see it? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean if our unity is established in the Trinity? It means that our unity is eternal. Eternal. There's not a time coming where you're not going to be brothers and sisters. Sorry. Yeah, but he really bugs me. When we get to heaven, can he not be my brother? (laughs) Sorry. He will always be your brother. She will always be your sister. That's our unity. Listen, he wants us to walk like Jesus walked, right? He wants us to walk in unity of equal weight to him. We want to be lowly and gentle, humble and meek. We want to be loving one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Walk like Jesus walked, right? We want to walk in that unity, and that's the unity that we already have, man. We all have the same spirit. We'll have different responsibilities, but the same spirit. 
We all have the same Lord, Jesus Christ, right? He's our head. He's going to direct us. We all have the same Father that unifies us. That's where the body of Christ needs to stay focused. That's our unity. That's what brings us together. Something we've got to work up, it's already there. Just like all the blessings of God. In light of all these blessings, walk worthy. Walk the talk. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you that we can come before you this morning. God, we thank you that this is the family of God. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're brothers and sisters. We're empowered by the same spirit. We follow the same Lord. We have the same Father. Man, we have unity, and we're to walk in that unity. Lord, we're to walk like you walked. In John chapter 17, Jesus, you prayed that we, your church, would be one, even as you and the Father are one, that we would be unified, echad, that we would be one. Lord, it's our prayer as we consider the blessings that you've given us in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, that we walk of equal weight, that we walk like Jesus walked, that we be who Jesus is calling us to be, that we major on the majors and not on the minors, that we focus on our unity, that where it's possible, we're at peace, endeavoring to hold that unity, endeavoring to hold that unity and realize We have freedom, liberty in Christ. There's things in the scripture we can wander and speculate, and that's great. But there's some things we can't. Father, we pray that you would unify us as a body, us here at Calvary Chapel Buell, the churches in this area, that we would be united together, led by Christ, empowered by your spirit, serving our Father. Almighty God, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and magnified as we present ourselves as prisoners to you, God, and you use us to do your perfect work. Man, Lord, it's, it's so empowering as we look at your word and see not only what you call us to be, but how you strengthen us to be what you've called us to be. Oh, Lord, I love you. I love you with all my heart. So I will keep your commandment to love the Lord my God with everything I am, to cling to you, and to walk the way you're calling us to walk. Walking in unity, Lord, we pray. Be glorified in this place. Be magnified among us. As we honor you in all we do, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.